Now, before we begin our, our Torah study today, let's pray. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher kidshenu b'mitzvatah v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. Today's message is entitled, Yiyeh B'Seder. It's an Israeli phrase that means it's going to be okay. And my wife and I were in Israel at a time when Scud missiles had been falling in residential areas in different parts of greater Tel Aviv, Nana, and elsewhere. And the mother of one of our dear friends had, had to calm her family down during this time of attack. And Sandy asked her, what do you say? And she said, Seder. It will be okay. Now, Seder means order. It will be in order. But in, in Passover, Seder is also the name of the meal. And it's the name of the gathering. But in modern Israeli Hebrew, Seder means all right, okay. Yeah, it will be. It will be okay. And so it's an important description of all the passages that we study according to the normal cycle of reading that the Jewish world has followed for, for a millennia that includes the Torah, it includes the Haftarah readings typically from the prophets, but also from the other writings. And in Messianic synagogues, it also includes readings from Habrita Chadashah, the New Covenant writings. And so we have a reading plan as a congregation. We follow that that harmonizes with and is current with the rest of the Jewish world, but it's amplified as well and increased with the writings from the New Covenant. So, as we're reading today, the, the portions that we read at our Torah service and as well the, the references that we will have today, they're useful for us because the things we read about, even though they were events and situations that took place thousands of years ago, they have a timeliness to us. How many of you have observed this in your Torah readings that the things you read about that are part of the scheduled readings actually apply to your life that you're living right now? How many have had that experience and can confirm it? Many of us have had that experience. There's also a a proverb, if you will, that is part of Jewish wisdom that says that the life of the patriarchs will be repeated in the life of their children and their descendants. So what happens with them also resonates into the future and happens with us. For us to be messianic, for us to be of Messiah means also that the things that happen to Messiah 
will happen to us. It's important to put that together so that we can make sense of the world that we're living in. Because I don't know about you, I would rather, I'm going to be honest here for a moment. No, I'm, I'm honest for more than a moment. But, but I, I want to take a moment and just say something that maybe you've been tempted by, I've been tempted by. I want to live in a different world than this one. <laughs> I want to live in a world that's not broken like this one is and that's not ravaged by sin like this one is. I want to live in the world to come. Now, I don't want to get there the way you have to get there. You know, to get to the world to come, you have to live in this world first and learn to trust the Lord and deal with our sin and confess our sin and accept Yeshua's sacrifice for our sin. And then when all is said and done, we have to die. And then we have to be resurrected. So if I can be honest about what I'm tempted by, I'm tempted by this, I would like to skip a lot of that already. How many of you have had those moments where you wake up and say, enough? Yeah. And we are living in an unusual time in history. COVID's touched all of us and our families in one way or another. Stephen Tracy A. Bush were to be here today. They tested positive this morning with symptoms. Family gathering, other family members. You know, we all do the best we can in this situation. We're not living in fear. What fear is good to have? The fear of the Lord, because it's the beginning of what? Wisdom, that's right. And so it's not that we don't want any fear. We want that fear to be the one that leads our lives. Am I right? And we're not subject to a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Now, if you didn't know that, you've got some more Bible study to do on your own. All of us who have been touched by COVID have sorrows, their regrets. Many caught COVID here at the synagogue or at family gatherings. We've mourned and deeply been moved by the passing of two dear congregants. And there have been other deaths and other sicknesses as well from other causes. And I'm still taking precautions because in the middle of this pandemic, I had triple bypass open heart surgery. And I want to interact with you today. And so when we're together, I can give air hugs and I can smile, but I can't do everything I would like to do. And I suspect that's the case for some of you as well. 
Now, with that in mind, I want to turn to the context for this week's Torah portion. Because we're reading about what Israel has been going through. And they've been through many, many trying times. There have been rebellions, and there have been plagues, and there have been spiritual attacks from Balaam and Balak, and Balaam, the false prophet, all of his nefarious plans unfold, and, and they're described at the end of last week's readings. If you were following the, the reading cycle, you would have read this on your own. In Numbers 25, it says that Israel stayed at Shittim, and there the people began, and I'm using David Stern's translation, and there the people began whoring with the women of Moab. These women invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, where the people ate and bowed down to their gods. With Israel thus joined to Baal Peor, the anger of the Lord blazed up against Israel. And so this is a description of part of Balaam's plan to seduce Israel into idolatry. And ultimately the evil results that Balaam wanted to accomplish and that his money man, Balak, wanted to accomplish, they were actually fulfilled over time. And why do I say the money man, Balak? Because the New Testament scriptures say that it was because of the money that Balaam was willing to curse Israel. And who was the money? It was Balak. Balak saw Israel as an enemy. He didn't have a high view of Israel. He and other kings in, around him wanted to see Israel destroyed, but they knew that the Lord was protecting Israel. And so their heart being turned in the wrong direction, they thought, what can we do? We'll hire Balaam to curse Israel if that doesn't work. And it wasn't. Then we'll do whatever it takes so that the Lord will do something against Israel. And they used idolatry and seduction to accomplish it. And so we read about that, a rough moment in Israel's history. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm one of those people that tends towards optimism rather than pessimism. How many are of this camp? It's good, there are a few of us. Hallelujah. Uh, many people find it easier to anticipate what's gonna go wrong. And thank the Lord that all of us are in one world together, we can help each other out. But when we look at what happened in Numbers 25, and then we go further, we see things get even worse. And an alliance between a chief of Israel and a chief of Midian was sealed in a really outrageous way that I'm not going to describe, but the scriptures do, and you can read it on your own. And then what follows is there's a plague, and then there is a zealous priest named Pinchas, or Phineas in America. And then Pinchas spears two people through. And then the plague stops. And it's a mess. 
Do you agree that's a mess? So that's the context for what's next. And what's next is really interesting because in the midst of all that continuing difficulty and all that drama and and the relentless rebellion and the death and the sorrow and the trouble that keeps on coming, the tone shifts. Something changes. And that's why we could say, It's in Numbers chapter 27, starting in verse 1. And I'm using, uh, again, David Stern's complete Jewish Bible translation based largely on the Jewish Publication Society 1917 translation. For those of you who are Bible version geeks, how many of you are? James and I are. Some of you are. But verse 1 in Numbers 27 says, And then the daughters of Slofchad, and I forget what the English rendering of that is. Uh, Numbers 27, what's the English way of saying that? Does Does anybody got a Bible? Slofchad, yeah, that's the, that's a, a more Hebraic rendering. Okay, good, we don't know. Yeah, that's all correct, but there's another one that I forgot. I used to know. I guess we don't need to use that one. But I want you to pay attention to this. The daughters. Say that with me. The daughters. Tell someone next to you. Daughters. Daughters. Because we're talking about daughters, specific daughters. The daughters of Tzelofchad, who was the son of Hefer, who was the son of Gilad, who was the son of Machir, who was the son of Manasseh, and of the families or tribes of Manasseh, the son of Yosef, Joseph. These daughters approached. So these are people who are important to us. These are the daughters. They're from families that are descended from Manasseh. And remember who Manasseh is. He was Joseph's son. Manasseh and his brother Ephraim, two sons of Joseph, two sons of Joseph who the patriarch Jacob laid hands on and proclaimed, these are now my sons. Any more sons you have, you can keep. They're now my sons. And Jacob elevated these boys into sonship. There's not a tribe of Joseph. You know that. There are two half-tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim instead. And the two boys were born to Joseph in Egypt to Joseph and his Egyptian wife. So Joseph is on the family side of Abraham. But his wife was Egyptian. And according to current Jewish law, this wife would not have been considered Jewish, her children would not have been considered Jewish. But here they are, and it's useful to take note of that. Here they are, part of Israel. Part of the Jewish community led by Moses. For goodness sakes, they're in the Torah. Do you see that? 
How many of you see that? Okay, all of you who have Jewish fathers but not Jewish mothers, take note of this. Some parts of the Jewish world would say, well, your dad doesn't count. It's only the mother. They should read this passage. Here they are. They're part of Israel, part of the Jewish community led by Moses, and they're the who. And then it continues. Verse 1 continues and says, These were the names of his daughters, Machla, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirzah. These are their names, the names of the five daughters. The Torah actually takes time to give us their names, and it's a way of under, underlining their significance. They got God's attention. They got Moses' attention, and they should get our attention. We should pay attention. They, verse 2, they stood in front of Moshe, Eleazar the Kohen, the priest, the leaders and the whole community, community at the entrance to the tent of meeting, and they said, verse 3, our father died in the desert. He was not part of the group who assembled themselves to rebel against Adonai in Korah's group, but he died in his own sin, and he had no sons. He died in his own sin. That's a, that's a Hebrew expression that means he died like a normal person. In the midst of all this chaos, all this rebellion, all this drama, these five women come with poise and with peace, with integrity, and they speak clearly and directly about the rules and regulations of the Lord and of Israel. And I want you to remember the context. They want change, but they don't want to be mixed up with all the chaos, the disorder, the disrespect, the discord, the division, the rebellion. And so they state it clearly, and they say, our father wasn't part of that mess with Korah. And then they continue. They continue because they want something to change. In verse 4, why should the name of our father be eliminated from his family just because he did not have a son? Give us property to possess along with the brothers of our father. Verse 5 says, Moshe brought their cause before Adonai. So Moses listened to these five daughters, and then he brought it to the Lord. And verse 6 says, who can read me the three words of verse 6? Adonai answered Moshe. Thank you, Lauren. Three words. Adonai answered Moshe. Here's the answer. The daughters of Tzlochan are right in what they say. You must give them property to be inherited along with that of their father's brothers. Have what their father would have inherited passed to them. So the Lord says they're right in what they say. And sometimes what you say and how you say it and who you're with can really make a difference. And so these daughters came before Moses and then Moses to the Lord. And you know what? It brought change. Verse 8, 
Moreover, this is what the Lord says, moreover, say to the people of Israel, if a man dies and does not have a son, you are to have his inheritance passed to his daughter. That's a big change. Nine, if he doesn't have a daughter, <coughs> give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, give his inheritance to his father's brothers. If his father doesn't have brothers, give his inheritance to the closest relative in his family and he will possess it. This will be the standard for judgment to be used by the people of Israel as Adonai ordered Moshe. And so here we have a change in property rights, a change in inheritance, a change in probate, if you will, and a change in the status of women. Do you see that? And only later, later, much later would this principle be extended so that daughters would receive inheritance even if there were sons in the family. Sometimes the principles and the precedents of biblical justice take time to further develop and to take root in society. Even so, this is a good example of how to change the way things work. And the moment represented serious change. And it was protective of the good of the community. There were no villains. There were no victims. There were no heroes. Moses listens. The Lord listens. The Lord says the daughters are correct and the law should be changed. Do you see, the daughters didn't take up that wounded role of the victim. They had power and authority because they didn't. Instead, they just said it the way it is. Our father, a good man, a normal man, had daughters and no sons, and he's died, and we should inherit his property. That's what they said. Now, if you brought that to Israeli society for a vote, do you know what you would get at that moment? you would get a different answer. You would get a different answer than this because the society was rooted and established in this, that property rights and inheritance passed through the son, the first son, and then to the, to the younger sons as well. How many of you knew that? You knew that's how it worked then, right? And so if you just went to the society of Israel, at that moment and said, these daughters want to change things. And everybody would say, no. The way it is is the way it is. And they would say, this is the way the Lord gave it to us, right? But you know what the daughters do? They understand something. There are moments when some things have to change. There are moments. And how do you become useful to God and to Israel at such moments? This is what's being laid out for us. I want you to grasp that. That's the lesson in the midst of the chaos. Five daughters have wisdom that none of the men have. None of the men of Israel looked around and said, you know what, something's not right. The women aren't being treated right. Fast forward. This part's not in my notes. You get it for free. 
Do you remember when Yeshua was raised from the dead and revealed himself? And the women came and told the guys? Have you ever thought about the fact that the Lord picked the women to tell the guys? You should, because he did. And at first, the guy said, no way. But later they said, wait. So I'm saying this because you may read your scriptures like it's ancient history or there are too many tzalofcha, hard to pronounce names and you know, you may be like that person who goes, uh, blah, 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 blah. And you just fast forward and skip over things. And you may miss something that's really important to us, a lesson in the midst of such things. No villains, no victims, no heroes. The daughters don't make accusations against all the men or the way of the society. They're not victims. And they don't join in with that approach that Korah and all the others that followed of that ilk used, which was to find the villain. Who's the guilty party? Who is, who is guilty here? And nobody emerges as a hero. Do you see that? I hope you see it. Because it will help you understand something if you do. Moses listens, the Lord listens, the Lord says the daughters are correct, and the law should be changed, and it is. It's, to me, it's a fascinating lesson on social change. It happens very quickly without any damage to the society or the community. It happens very quickly and then the people have to get used to it. It happens very quickly in the midst of chaos. And it stands out because it gives us a different path. And it also helps us understand that the path of Pinchas is not the alternative path to the path of Korah because it has some virtue, but the path of Pinchas, the one who speared the two offenders, how many of you are familiar, just so that I know if you even know what I'm talking about? You, you know this, you, if you read the Torah portion in its entirety, and you read it regularly, you will know the whole story. But Pinchas is commended for that, but it is not held up as a standard. Later on, we'll read in a situation where Pinchas uses his zeal in a misguided way. He misinterprets a lot of things. And as a result, he almost goes to war against part of Israel. And so there's a lesson embedded in here that the path of Pinchas is not the path of the daughters. And so this protects us from being a community of vigilantes and also protects us from adopting norms 
of a villain victim hero that you know there's a villain out there there's a hero out here the rest of us are victims because that triangle of villain victim and hero is so dangerous not just in a family or in any relationship it's utterly dangerous in a community and beyond that it's viciously dangerous in a nation So it's not the path of Pinchas. It's definitely not the path of Korach and all those who fought against Moses and the Lord because that's the way of accusation mixed with pride and arrogance that overthrows or tries to grab power then, rather than receive power from the Lord. And it's worth noting these things, Mishpacha. It's worth taking notice. Even in the chaos, even in the tumult, even in the storm, Yeyeb it will be okay. We just have to find our paths. Now let's go to the Haftor and then the Brit Hadashah. Jeremiah chapter 1, the prophet Jeremiah is called. He's young. And what he needs is discernment. He needs the spiritual gift of discernment. He's reluctant. But what he really needs, I believe, is humility, which will enable God to use Jeremiah powerfully and will help Jeremiah later endure many difficulties. Jeremiah is called to be a Jewish prophet, a prophet of Israel, and, say and with me, just to lock it in your own mind, and a prophet to the Gentile nations. Prophet to Israel and the Gentile nations. Now how can you test this? In whose scriptures is the book of Jeremiah? Jewish scriptures, Hebrew scriptures, that part of the Tanakh called Nevi'im, the prophets, that is reserved for the authenticated prophets of Israel. You got that? But who says to Jeremiah, I've called you to be a prophet to the Goyim? The Lord. But that doesn't fit in with everything. It wasn't a well understood or accepted goal. It was, here's one of my favorite words. This is like a 35 cent word, adumbration. It was an adumbration, it's a shadow or a cloudy hint of something to come. Now, what's the something to come? It's only clear in the new covenant calling of Jews and Gentiles to be one body with Yeshua the Messiah. And that leads us to the reading from Romans 11, the Brit Hadashah. Romans 11, verses 17 through 20, and I believe this is our last scripture. And I'm using as my base for you the Jewish New Testament, David Stern's translation. And also, I've amplified a little bit, so it's the David Levine modified or amplified version of the David Stern version. And the reason is, this passage is in a greater context, a whole chapter that has a lot of important details that need to be brought back into uh, to this text in order to grasp it. Romans 11, verse 17, if some of the Jewish branches were broken off. 
Now, let's just say the word some, some, some. That will help correct a lot of misguided theology which thinks all of the branches. For which we can say, wrong. It wasn't all of the branches, some of the branches. Some of the Jewish branches were broken off and you Roman believers, a wild olive, were grafted in among them and have become equal sharers in the rich root of the olive tree. And I want to emphasize this phrase. You have become equal sharers. Just for practice, say that out loud. Have become equal sharers. Jews? Yes. Equal sharers. Gentiles? Yes. Equal sharers. Do you see the connection to the Torah portion? Sons, equal sharers. Daughters, equal sharers. The children who had Jewish mothers, equal sharers. The children who had Jewish fathers, equal sharers. Do you see it? I want you to get that connection. It's very, very important. You have become equal sharers in the rich root of the olive tree. Verse 18, then don't boast as if you were better than the branches. Here again is the challenge, viewing each other as equals. No villains, no victims, no heroes. Just equals. Okay, I don't know if you can do this, but I'm going to ask you to try something. S smile at the person next to you and say, you're equal. You're equal. You're equal. You're equal. <laughs> you're equal. No villains, victims, heroes. We don't solve our problems by figuring out who's who in that vicious triangle that destroys community and family and relationship. We approach things in a different way. It's still a challenge, don't you know? Still a challenge. Jews and Gentiles still having to learn to be together. Still a challenge. Let's, let's say it another way. Israel and all the nations of the world learning to be together. Easy? No. A challenge, right? Any progress is met with resistance. Why? Because it's part of the plan of God and the good news of God to heal and reconcile humanity to God. That's, that's hard. So Paul then makes a correction to the Gentiles. And he's an apostle to the Gentiles. He's a Jew, but an apostle to the Gentiles. And he speaks very clearly and very directly, and he doesn't mince words. So he's a big advocate for Gentiles, but part of his leadership requires that he speak a word of correction. He says, however, if you do boast, remember that you Romans, you Gentiles, you from the nations, are not supporting the root. The root is supporting you. So you will say, 
Verse 19, Jewish branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. You know, like, almost like this. Hey, I'm something. Because God broke off Jewish branches to make room for me. And I love how Stern renders this. Four words. True, but so what? They were broken off because of their lack of trust. However, you keep your place only because of your trust. So don't be arrogant. Earlier in Romans 11, he said, don't be ignorant. Now he says, don't be arrogant. (coughs) Reminds me of that, that story of the pollsters going door to door, conducting a survey. Knocks on the door, homeowner answers, and they have basic communication and then the question. Sir, what do you think is the greater problem? Ignorance or apathy? The guy looks and says, I don't know and I don't care. <laughs> so Paul, Paul's speaking to his people, the Romans, and he's saying, don't give that kind of answer. Don't be ignorant. Don't ignore things. You know what that means. There's stuff you don't know you need to know. Don't be arrogant. Don't be proud. And don't think you're better. And don't think they're worse. And just stop doing it. Stop doing it. Because he wants them to be focused on the purpose and God's plan for the restoration of humanity. There's not room for superiority. We have to learn to combine mercy and truth. We have to learn to embrace concern for both Jews and Gentiles together. Jews still being Jews, Gentiles still being Gentiles, both highly valued in God's eyes. It's not by diminishing others that anyone gains their status. So we learn from all these readings, there is a purpose and a plan. God's trying to accomplish something. Hold on to the purpose, folks. Don't get caught up in the chaos and rebellion. God wants to bring about much change in all of us individually and in all of us together. So let's move forward together with the Lord. That's how we do it. In the days to come, when you're, when you're thinking about our mandate, our calling, our congregation, let's not allow frustration and offense and anger or difficulty to stop us. Let's say to ourselves and to our souls, Kadima, forward. We move forward, we move together, we multiply blessings all around us. Let's bless the Lord with a traditional Hebrew prayer. May not be familiar to you. I'll call it out so that you can repeat it. It's a few simple Hebrew words. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech ha'olam, hatov v'hametiv. Blessed are you, Lord our God. King of the universe, the good one and the doer of good. Amen. Lord, we, we're 
fixing our eyes on you. Help us endure, Lord, as we hold on to you. You're the one who's good. We're not. You are the one who can give us hope. You're the one who can hold on to us when we can't even hold on ourselves. Lord, we want to keep goodness in our hearts and in our minds. We thank you that you make it possible in the name of Yeshua. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I want to ask you to stand up. Now we're going to close with Aaron's blessing. Some of you like to gather together. Just respect each other's needs for distance if, if you have that need. One of the things I've promised people in this congregation that I can do, and that is to stand up for those that need space or that need to wear a mask. We can all show respect to one another. So while we're standing, let me speak to the live stream and podcast audience and just ask, would you consider standing also with us financially and in prayer? And if this live stream is a blessing to you, if our Messianic Jewish Teachings podcast is a blessing, if the Beth Israel Messianic Synagogue Sanctuary Service or any of our synagogue ministries are a blessing to you, would you consider blessing our ministry in two ways? With your prayers and with your finances. All the information is on our webpage, BethIsraelNow.com slash giving. Let's close with Aaron's blessing. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ye'er Adonai p'navelecha v'yichunecha. Yisa Adonai p'navelecha. Ayasem lecha shalom. May the Lord bless you. And may the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.